All right, listeners, you know I am a diehard supporter of public education. I was a public educator. I grew up in public schools. My mom taught in public schools. But I'm also a realist, and I know they don't meet the needs of every child. So today we talked to someone who's going to wear two hats, a mom hat as a mom of two children who don't go to public schools, and she is also the director of curriculum at Northampton Williston Independent School, uh, Kim Avelti Polin. Uh, She's going to talk us through the finances, the process, and also help us work through some of the guilt that we might be feeling if we're thinking about these other options for our kids. Welcome to the core, and I can't wait to introduce you to Kim. Hello, and welcome to the core. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Allen, the owner operator of the community classroom a tutoring and academic coaching center in Florence, Massachusetts that serves students in Western Massachusetts and nationwide. I'm also the 2010 Florida Teacher of the Year, an education nerd, the stepmom to four teens and mama of one toddler, a runner, a lover of dad jokes, and an educator for almost 20 years. In this podcast, we will answer parent questions about education and learning. Welcome to the core. Well, Kim, thank you for being with us today. Welcome to the core. Thanks for having me, Megan. So you're not here today really in your official capacity working in in a school, Kim, but you're really here today because you have a good vantage point on choice and options for parents as far as school goes. So give us a little background about uh, what you've seen and how you've seen it. Sure. So Um, In terms of the different choices that are out there for parents and schools, I personally came from public school and came from a small town where there were very few choices. Um, So my five siblings and I all went to public school. Um, You know, we all did had great paths through that and went different directions. It was a lot of fun. Um, It worked out well for me. I ended up you know, going off to college. I also had some siblings who ended up going in more of the vocational route. So we we really took our public educations and did some great things with them. Um, and now as a parent living in the Pioneer Valley, I find myself in a place with lots of educational choices, which is really different than where I grew up. Um, so when my own two little boys were getting to the age where they would be going to kindergarten, I started taking a look around and I ended up actually sending both of my children to charter school for elementary school. Um, I also, since my my um, entry into the Valley about 15 years ago, have been working at an independent school. Um, I actually work at the Willis Northampton School, which is a co-ed boarding school. Um, it has a day school also in grades seven and eight, goes all the way up through high school. So I've seen a whole uh, bunch of different perspectives on education throughout the course of my life. So let's get right to it, Kim. Uh, how does a parent know what's the right choice for their kid? And how to even find out what those choices are? It's work. It takes time and effort. I mean, just like if you wanted to find a summer camp for your child, you would just start by asking your friends. You would start by um, Googling things. You would start by looking at the advertisements that are in the local coffee shop. Um, And these are a lot of the same ways that people get information about their school choices. Um, And, you know, as as responsible parents, that's what we do. We we read the ingredients on the label and we try to look under the hood, <laughs> figure out you know what it is we're giving to our kids. Um, and you know, there's sometimes it can be it can feel a little intimidating to get started with that process. 
But like anything, if you just sort of take it from the beginning, one step at a time, it's actually not that hard. Um, and the thing that I would say too, is that each kid's really different. So the answer that you have True. for one child, and you know, I'm sure you've done a lot of thinking about this yourself as a parent, um, you, each kid is a little bit different. So the answer and the process I think, can really change from child to child, even within the same family. And something cool I've seen thinking about how it depends on, um, you know, the, the child and the family is that having a child be part of that, like getting under the hood and seeing what schools are about is a really integral piece of the process. Um, like having a child do it side by side with their parent can really help make decisions become clearer. Definitely. Um, my, even having a four-year-old going through that process, he had opinions. He definitely did. And it was clear to him um, what things were comfortable and what things weren't. And maybe he wasn't able to articulate, you know, his affinity for certain academic programs at the age of four. Um, it was clear when he got into an environment with, with different kids or different teachers, what things seemed to be resonating and what things didn't. Um, I, you know, even the size of the playground or whether there was grass and monkey bars, I feel like those things make a difference to it, the child's daily experience. Um, so yeah, getting the kid involved is really important. It can tell you a lot. I can almost picture a dinner conversation now of like listing criteria between parents and caregivers and kids of what they're hopeful for in a school. And I can definitely hear my kids seeing playground and outdoor space is high on that list. <laughs> Absolutely. And I am not going to lie. That was really high on my list too, because I knew that if there was a great playground that my kids would be more focused when they were in classes, you know, they would be, they would get that energy out when they were outside. Um, they would be, you know, making better connections with other kids because they were doing the sort of physical activities that they were interested in. So why is that a bad thing? It's not. The playground no. is important. <laughs> so we'll put that at the top of all of our lists. Um, and vitamin D, right? Like how much sunshine are they going to be able to get and move in their bodies? Um, so you work at an independent school, Kim. Tell us a little bit about why we might want to consider independent or private schools as parents. Sure. So it, you know, the great thing about independent options, um, you know, particularly here or anywhere is that they just give you more choices. So some students can feel really well served by public options, by charter options, and some may not. So it's useful to just look around and see if you can find, um, you know, that that perfect fit for your own kid. Uh, and it's not to say that they might not be successful in lots of different types of environments, but sometimes there's just something in particular that might really resonate with a kid or bring something out in them. So, you know, I, I can think about students who might be really interested in a particular type of academic program or a language, or you've got students who are really interested in certain types of extracurriculars or arts, um, kids with certain learning needs. So there are all types of reasons that someone might say, you know what, I think I'd like to just see what else is out there. Um, so I feel like it's, it's a, a good starting point to just work from the child's individual interests and needs. So I can already hear some of my friends say, but wait, money, money, money. Um, just the other day, like where we live in Western Massachusetts, Connecticut, this area for listeners who aren't local, um, I would say that there are private schools 
any direction I can look at, like within 10 miles. I mean, this is just like the Mecca. And one I was driving by the other day had this perfectly manicured green field, like nicer than any golf course and beautiful buildings. And I just was thinking, what a great school, but oh my gosh, how could I even consider affording that? So Kim, talk to us about the finances. Let's get real. Of course. Yeah, that's got to be a consideration. Um, So one thing that I will say is that there are definitely different price points when it comes to independent schools. So elementary schools will generally be cheaper than middle schoolers or high schools, for example. Um, And often, you know, when you're thinking about kindergarten, you you are probably a family or you may have been a family who was paying something for daycare, for example. So I feel like that's a good thing to think about, right? Like you invest a certain amount of money in your child's early childhood education, and then how might you think about moving that forward? Um, And it really is an investment. You know, it's trying to put some resources in now to make sure that you've got a kid who's prepared for the next step, feeling happy, feeling ready. Um, So it's, but it's a big consideration, absolutely. And what I can add is that in the independent schools that I've worked in and, you know, those that I've considered, those that are in our industry, financial aid is a big part of the conversation. Um, so the schools are really aware that families are coming from all different kinds of backgrounds. And that's always a conversation, almost always a conversation with families is um, how financial aid process works. So it's important, you know, if you're someone who would be pursuing financial aid to know that going in and just be clear about that's something that you'd like to pursue and make sure that you start the process early and you make the deadlines. And should we be nervous to talk about financial aid or is that something that's like not taboo when we're talking to someone at an independent school? Is that it just is like a normal thing? Totally expected. There are people okay, whose good. whole job is financial aid at the school. Um, so it's likely that the person who you speak with in the admissions office, which are the folks who are you know, there to give you, have that initial conversation with you when you're interested, um, they will usually ask that question, bring it up with you, even if you don't, even if you aren't the person to bring it up. And there are people who are literally specialized in helping you figure that part of the question out. So it sounds like that's a good thing just to bring up right at the beginning so you can get all the information and no one's going to hold that against you. (laughs) Absolutely. No, it it absolutely has to be part of the conversation on both sides from the beginning. Um, I, I like how you framed it too, as thinking of it as an investment. You know, I see so many people that spend money with private baseball coaching and private piano lessons and private dance instructors. And um, just thinking about, you know, this is an investment in our kids' future by by spending money on their education, whether it's tutoring like we do, private teaching or, you know, independent school, private schools. Uh, It's all about investing in our kids uh, and finding the right choice for them. Absolutely. And it's interesting because independent schools will sometimes wrap in some of the things that you might have to pay extra for other places. So like you were talking about, you know, dance is a program that's offered at a lot of independent schools, for example, Um, may not be available. And it is definitely available in some public schools, but not all. So if that's something that you're paying for on the outside, then that would be part of the cost, of course, once you're paying for independent school. Um, And thinking about tutoring, too, a lot of independent school teachers are expected as part of their job to give extra help, which is basically one-on-one support to a student who needs extra help in the classroom. Um, so some of that, which you know you might have had to pay for in a different environment, would just be part of the package when you're coming to an independent school. Oh, that is really good to know. Um, I didn't know that. Sports as well? 
Right. So for example, a great example that people give is hockey. Hockey can be an expensive sport. Um, and if you come to a school that offers hockey as part of its program, it's not extra. It's included as part of what you do there. That is so cool. Um, so there actually might be some savings having paid for a dance costume or 10 in my life. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but you also think about, um, you know, if you're the person driving your child to those, you know, 5 a.m. practices on ice around the you know, greater New England area, <laughs> when you're driving to not at a, a boarding school, for example, it's the coach who's driving or, you know, bus driver. So there's some, not necessarily cost savings, but time savings. So it's, it's like I said, this, it, there's really, it's a different conversation where every single family, both sort of financially and then personally and about making the right fit for the kid. And time is money of uh, that time savings. So Kim, you mentioned something that uh, reminded me of another question that I had. Boarding, day school. Talk to us a little bit about this idea of like boarding with private schools and independent schools. Sure. Yeah, so boarding is actually something that I had had no access to or understanding of before I came to work in boarding school, the first independent school I worked in was a day school. And day schools work, you know, very similarly to public schools. You drive your student there in the morning. They come home at the end of the day. Usually they're part of some afternoon program, some type of sport. Um, and there are usually other extracurriculars like arts and things available to them. But nobody's sleeping over. They're coming home to you and on the weekend, they're all yours. <laughs> Um, you know, maybe they go back to school for games on the weekend or something like that, but they are, they're there with you. Boarding school, you know, is, it's interesting because there's stigma out there in, in media about what it means to be at a boarding school, but just you know, many people listening to this podcast will likely be, have gone to college or know people who have gone to college, which is a boarding environment. So imagine college, but with a lot more supervision. So you have students who are living in dorms. They're going to classes during the day. They go to their sports in the afternoon. They do some study hall and academic preparation during the evening. They go to sleep and they start over again the next day. Um, and you know, a parent of a high schooler, I think would tell you that school can be all consuming. And sometimes it feels mm -hmm. like they might as well roll a bed up to the gymnasium and just let them sleep there because mm -hmm. they're there so much. Um, so boarding makes it so, you know, again, all of those things are all in one place and the student doesn't have to worry about that commute to and from school. Um, and they've also got access to all of the people and places that would help support their work, you know, during the academic day, during the afternoon, et cetera. So if you're someone who is working toward, you know, you want to get a great score on the AP Chem test, your AP Chem teacher is there during the evening to work with you. So that's sort of just an example of one of the benefits of living in a learning community. So there are some really, you know, interesting, um, like I said, benefits or supports that are here available for them all the time. And then over the weekend, there are lots of fun things to do, um, which often will include things like that dance recital or that hockey game, but also things like roasting marshmallows on the quad or taking off. That's my favorite. <laughs> I love marshmallows. Or, you know, going in a van with a faculty member to the mall and going shopping. All the normal teenage stuff happens too. Um, so, you know, I could talk for a long time about what boarding means um, and why people make that choice. Um, but it's something that is just a lot more normal than it seems uh, when you first think about it. 
And my mama heart keeps saying like, or thinking like, what kind of contact would I have with my child? Like, what is, what does that look like, Kim? So in the, in this day and age, our students are incredibly connected with their family. Um, <laughs> if they want to be, if they, <laughs> if, they re, if they return texts. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's so easy to stay in touch with students now because they've got email, they have texts, they have Snapchat, they have FaceTime. Um, so whatever way parents want to be in touch with their students, they can be, of course. Um, students you know, in, at boarding schools are also allowed to sign out to go home for the weekend if they want to. Parents are able to come see their kids play games. So you know, if they wanted to drive to that hockey game, they're welcome to do that. Uh, so there's still you know, a really vibrant parent community and then also lots of opportunities for parents to visit with their kids. And um, private schools, gener- or, I'm sorry, boarding, boarding schools will generally follow a bit of a different calendar to sort of recognize and respect the fact that when students go home, they want a longer chunk of time together with their families. So for example, our you know, winter break is more like two weeks long than just a few days. And our spring break is two weeks long to make sure that students, particularly those who go abroad, um, will have time to get there, spend some quality time together and then get that. Quality versus quantity. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So real question, Kim. I know a handful of families that I grew up with that would send their kids to boarding schools because of expected increased odds and getting in really good Ivy League schools, colleges. What is there something to that? Um, like, does it increase the odds and what kind of relationship do you all have with those amazing colleges? And you know, I don't have, what I can speak to is it, it, the exact statistics of, you know, the admissions results of any given school versus any other given school. So, you know, I don't have that data to give you. Yeah. But what I can say is that college counseling is a really important part of in, independent high school experience. Um, so we understand that, you know, it, at least those who are focused on college preparation, like the prep school part, um, that a big part of that is helping students think about what college might be a good fit for them. So conversations about things like that start in early junior year. Students are taught about how to take a college visit. They're given experience doing college interviews. Um, they've got support in writing their college essay, et cetera. So you can imagine that with all of that extra help in the process, it, you know, it, it makes our students more likely to be successful at the end of the day because they've just had all of that sort of extra coaching. Yeah. And any kind of extra support and guidance definitely ends up with good results. Right. And it is, I mean, if, I don't know how, when I applied to college, I feel like I wrote one essay and sent it to three schools, and that was it. Nowadays, students are applying to, you know, seven, 10, 14 schools, and they've all oh got gosh. And It's almost like a, a whole new writing project or a, a whole second course for our students. So having that extra support, it's really valuable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, my heart started beating a little faster just hearing about the number of schools that people are applying to now. Yeah, I think I had, like, top two schools and then, like, two backups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> right, um, so different. different ball game now uh kim what is the process if a parent or caregiver is looking into getting their child uh into a private or independent school 
So I actually get to go through this process again myself this year because my young, um, my younger son is applying to the school where I work. Oh, you so got your mama hat on. I do. So I can tell you exactly what I'm about to do for him. Um, so, and I haven't actually started yet. So this is a good reminder for me. No judgment. Thank you. And just, you know, for the record, we're recording this in August. So I'm thinking about this in the summer before, and he's, um, this is for the following academic year. So wow, plan ahead. Yes. Plan ahead is number one. Um, so the first thing that you want to understand is when is the application due? And you'll be able to find that on the school's website. Um, usually it's sometime in the spring, but you'll just want to be careful to make, or, or the early winter. So you just want to make sure, I'm sorry, late winter. So you just want to make sure that you're meeting those deadlines. Um, and if you have questions about them, there is an entire office of people who is there to answer your questions. But usually step one is to make an inquiry into the school. That can mean a lot of things. So nowadays, an inquiry is usually putting your name in on the website and saying, hey, send me some information. Um, so that's how you start your formal relationship with the school is literally by just either sending an email, making a phone call, filling out a, a form, going to an open house. Um, that's where the school learns from you. Hey, I'm interested. And here's the student that I have, and this is where they would be applying for, you know, what grade they would be interested in. And then once you've developed that relationship, the school will usually start to reach out to you and let you know what things are coming up, when deadlines are, um, how to fill out the application, et cetera. So the applications nowadays are mostly online. Um, I, I, I know that our school went away from paper applications a number of years ago, so there may still be some out there though, particularly in the younger grades. But generally, you're going to be filling out your application online. Sometimes there's an interview. Um, not always, but I think very often there'll be an interview between the admissions staff at the school and the family, uh, which is a wonderful chance, not just for them to get to know your kid, but vice versa. Think so, of two ways. <laughs> two ways, right? Um, the interview also is usually coupled with a tour if you haven't already done that. So you have a chance to look around and kick the tires a little bit. Um, a tour can also include things like going to a class. Uh, things have been a little different during COVID, it's a, of course. So, you know, depending on when people listen to this, hopefully things won't be quite so restrictive as they have been in, in recent times. But visiting classrooms can be a really nice way to get a sense of who the kids are, the relationship between the students and their teachers, um, what the dress code looks like. Sometimes they're dress code. So once you've gone through the um, application phase, then you know you're, that's also when you would be doing your financial aid forms. Um, another important thing to think about during this process is if you're going to a school that requires standardized testing to make sure that you sign up for that early. So just like if you were applying to college, you would take the SSAT, I'm sorry, the SAT, there is a test called the SSAT for um, independent schools for younger students. Good to know. Yeah, so some schools did away with that during COVID, but maybe bringing it back in the later years. Um, so that's another important thing to think about. Awesome, Kim. Thanks for walking us through that and good luck to your youngest son. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I want to talk to, to you a little bit. The, the last thing is about this idea of guilt that some parents might feel and even thinking about independent schools. Like, you know... I grew up public school in public schools. I taught in public schools. I advocate for public schools, but I'm really curious about independent schools and charter schools. What advice would you give to someone who might feel a little bit of guilt about that? 
I, I totally understand the question and having been someone who was served really well by public school and, you know, still have a lot of family members who are in that world and friends who, who work in those schools. I, I feel like there is, I understand that pull and that draw. I am a huge proponent and supporter of public education um, and, and think that everyone should, should feel that. I feel like that's, that's a good thing. That's a good feeling. Um, but, you know, remembering back to the, the beginning of the conversation that every kid is different and you, it would be absolutely impossible to conceptualize one school that would work for every single kid. I think we can all right. agree that there isn't just one school that's perfect for every kid. So I feel like to get a, a little bit away from the guilt, we can think, all right, my kid is an individual and we're faced with a bunch of choices. So let's at least inform ourselves. Right. And then at the end of the day, if it feels like you're going in the right direction, hopefully that'll solve that. I love that quote so much and that advice so much. I wrote it down. <laughs> um, Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Megan. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us and tune in next Tuesday to the core. Bye. Bye.